fan and they soaked me all the way down to my shoes. How about that? <laughs> it's all right. Well, good to be in church tonight. And uh, I'm glad we had some folks get saved this morning. And, um, you know, I don't know where in the world, but I guarantee you there have been people all over the world that have been saved today because Jesus Christ is still in the saving business. And uh, we, don't, we don't give all the money that we give and we don't send people to the mission field because we hope something may happen. We believe that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, I know that it, God's making it work. Take your Bible and go, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you were not here this morning and involved in junior church, super church, other areas of ministry here. We looked at the beginning of the book of Peter, how that Christianity can thrive in the darkest of times. And the reason I say that is because these are the last words of Peter. And usually when you have a book, 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, where you find Paul's last words, you usually find great problems that are there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 speaks much about the apostasy of the age. 2 Peter chapter 2 talks much about uh, uh, false prophets and false teachers who bring in damnable heresies. And that's something that we have uh, much of today. But I, I believe regardless of how dark the days are, Christianity can still thrive in the middle of that darkness. And I believe that's, we found that because God hath given us. He's given us. We've obtained the righteousness of God, it is a permanent possession to all of us that have been born again and we have it by faith. And I don't know how many of you are happy about that, but I think we ought to really be happy about the fact that we have the righteousness of God. So I don't, I don't care how bad you feel tonight, if you're sitting there and you're saved, you have the righteousness of God. I didn't say your righteousness. You have the righteousness of God. How much would you, how much would you pay for that? What could you trade for that? How long would you have to work for that? You know, we didn't have to work, trade, we had to do anything for it. All we had to do is accept it by faith. Amen. And so what I'm saying tonight is we've got something that is very uniquely special. And that really kind of puts us on a high plane. I went out today, I went out on a high plane today. I went out today after a young man walked down forward and said, I am lost, and then hear how he got saved. Listen, I went out. I did not go out dragging the bottom of the day. I went out rejoicing today. And just thinking about having the righteousness of God. But the book doesn't start with what I started with. The book starts a little bit differently. Go back and look, if you would, with me there in verse number one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as he had, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now that speaks to where we were this morning. I've got the righteousness of God and I definitely don't want to be trapped in the corruption that's in the world and I do want to be a partaker of the divine nature. And so if you look back at the very first two words, look at those first two words, Simon Peter, Simon Peter. 
What you have at the very opening of the second epistle of Peter is you have the two names of Peter. Simon is the name that was given to him at birth. Simon is the name that establishes a bridge back to his former life when he was a fisherman. When he was fishing, he was known as Simon. He wasn't known as Peter. When you look at the word Simon, you see the old man represented. You don't see the new man. You see the old man, the old lifestyle, all the old desires and all the old purposes. That's what you see when you see the word Simon. But then when you see the word Peter, you see something different. In fact, if you put a little mark right there in 2 Peter 1 and go to 1 Peter 1, you can see the contrast that's there. Look what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of, Jesus, apostle of Jesus Christ. It starts off with a new name. The name Peter was not his given name at birth, but it was the name that the Lord gave him. God gave him a brand new name. And you know, God, God is in the business of doing that. I don't know how many of us would really, if I began preaching about Saul of Tarsus, most of us probably would not look at him in that light. We don't look at Paul as Saul of Tarsus. We look at him as Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. You know why that is? Because God changed his name. He changed his name from Saul to Paul, just like he changed Jacob's name to Israel. And God, God, <coughs> God has the ability to take and change a person's life and establish not the old man, but establish a new purpose and a new desire and a new life. And when we read about Peter, we read about a guy that wrote two books of the Bible. I'd say that's a big difference when somebody that's out fishing for, for fish. Then we read about a man that took and he preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. We read about a man who raised people from the dead, who was instructed to feed God's sheep, who was able to walk on water. That's Peter. Simon didn't walk on water. Simon sat in a boat and cast a net into the water. Peter got out of a boat and walked on the water to Jesus. And that's because he had a change of who he was from the old man to the new man. Amen. <coughs> and when we read Peter here, <coughs> what we read is we read something that represents the new man. So go back and look at chapter 1 of 2 Peter. So 2 Peter, Simon Peter. Simon Peter. They're both mentioned. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a work of God that has been done in Peter's life. How many of you could say there's a work of God that has been done in your life? God did a work in your life. It wasn't a work of resolution. It wasn't a work of determination and discipline that God one day came where you were and changed your life for eternity. God did a work in your life. And now how many of you could say, preacher, I have the righteousness of God. I've got it. Could you say that? Amen. Well, you know, the sad truth is that we've all become a new creature in Christ. But the truth is Simon's always present. You know, this morning preaching about having the righteousness of God. Man, that's such enjoyable preaching for a lowly, vile, filthy sinner to say, you know what, I've got God's righteousness that's been given to me. Man, that's just a, such a step up. But then you turn around and you look at the two words, Simon Peter, and I'm reminded, I'm reminded that no matter, no matter 
the fact that I've been born again and have the righteousness of God and he's done a work and I become a new creature, Simon is always present. The flesh and that old man is always present. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand that. Notice the Bible says Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. So Simon is a servant. You know what I'd say to us tonight what we need to do? We need to bring that old man into subjection. Every day that you breathe, every day that you get up, every new day, you ought to take and put off that old man and put on that new man. You ought to put off the old man and put him in subjection to the will of God and say, as a new man, I'm going to follow the leading of the Lord Jesus. You know, when when we do that, life is so much better, isn't it? Amen. It's just better. And so what I'm saying tonight is that Simon is always present. And I want you to notice that. Put a little mark right there. And I just want to show you in the Bible. Look at Matthew 16, Matthew 16. Simon Peter, though Peter, new life, new desire, brand new creature in Christ, the work of God done in his life, but still Simon is present. Look at Matthew 16, Matthew 16 and verse number 16, great truth in the Bible. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, He's speaking to Simon who understands something that is spiritual and he addresses him then as Peter. So what I'm saying is you have Simon, the one born on the earth, the one born unto his mother and dad, the old carnal nature, but then you have Peter, somebody that's been enlightened by the truth of God. You know what I'm glad? I'm glad we don't have to live in darkness. I'm glad that I can be enlightened by what truth really is. Well, Simon Peter, but Simon's still there. Look at it again, Mark chapter 14, Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, Jesus is going to the crucifixion and he's asked Peter, James, and John to come and pray with him. Now he's taken all of his disciples, save Judas, and now Peter, James, and John have gone a little bit farther and he's asked them, would you tarry with me for one hour? I'm facing the most grave moment in history. And look what the Bible says, Mark 14, 37, and he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Peter, the man that gave up his family business, Peter, the man that walked on the water, Peter, the one that was able to take and preach and see 3,000 people say, he says unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou, couldst thou not watch one hour? That's because Simon is still present. Peter, yes, Peter, an apostle. Peter, a man that now has given his life and totally committed to following Jesus Christ. But Simon is still present. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I, I, I do not want to follow the flesh. I wish that I could just cut it off and eradicate it. But you know what I found out? Even on days that things go really well and I'm in my Bible and I'm on my knees and I'm trying to please the Lord, I find out that the old man has a way of springing back up and popping back up from time to time. He 
here, here Peter is going to pray a very, very, very blessed position. He and Peter and James and John are praying for Jesus before he goes to crucifixion, but he's sleeping because of his flesh. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Simon, look at it again, Luke 22, Luke chapter 22. Simon's always present. The flesh is always present. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 again before the crucifixion and Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter. Look what he says in verse 31. Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Simon, that old man, that old fisherman, that old man of the earth, Simon the devil wants to take you and he wants to sift all the good out of you. But look down at verse number 34. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny or thrice deny that thou knowest me. He's addressing Peter, but he's also addressing Simon because Simon is present. He's always there. Your flesh is always present. And listen, listen to me. There is nothing that you are incapable of doing as a Christian. I, I, I know you don't believe that. I'm telling you right now, most of us in here have seen examples of people that we had to set back in surprise and say, how in the world could you do that knowing what you know? How could you step across that line, that boundary? How could you embrace that kind of lifestyle knowing what you've heard preached and taught? I'll tell you how that's true. Because the flesh, Simon, is always present. Always. Look at it one more time. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, I'm, I'm telling you, Simon's, your flesh always present. Simon's always there. John 21, John 21, this is after Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he's going to meet his disciples there at the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says, Simon Peter, that's verse number three, Simon Peter, verse number two, there were together, Simon Peter, verse number three, Simon Peter, and they're out fishing. And while they're out fishing, they finally recognize, hey, that's the Lord. And so when they find out it's the Lord and they come ashore, look how Jesus addresses Simon Peter. Verse 15, so when they had died, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Verse 16, he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Notice, Peter was grieved. Because he said unto him the third time. That new man has said, I am going to give my life for the glory of God. But Simon is having to make a decision. Am I really going to commit to loving him and leaving all of this behind? All those things that I just stepped back into, that, that boat and the fishing life, and they caught nothing. Hey, can I say something to you? Are you listening? When you go back into the world, you know what you're going to find? Nothing. If you decide one day, I'm going to lay my Bible down, I'm tired of church, I'm tired of all the standards, I'm tired of the righteousness, I'm tired of the holiness, I'm tired of all that, I'm, I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to, wear what I want to wear, do what I want to do, I'm going back out into that world. Let me tell you what you're going to find there. Nothing. You're not going to find anything there that satisfies. You say, how do you know that? Because if it satisfied you before, you never would have needed Jesus in the first place. 
The world can't satisfy. The world has nothing that can take the place of what Jesus has given us. So here's what I'm saying to you. Simon is always present. Simon Peter. And Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle, it has to be brought under subjection. So go back, if you would, with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. So what do we do then? If the flesh is always present, what do we do? How can we take and still win the victory? How can Christianity thrive when that old man is always present? I know this is probably a carnal illustration. I shouldn't give it. But you know, the days that I don't read the way I should in the morning and pray the way I should is the day that I get in my car and every lunatic in Greenville drives right beside me. Do you ever experience that? Now, I know that, that, is such a, that is such a weak analogy of what I'm, I'm just, what I'm saying is, is that if I don't try to do something to take care of Simon, I'm never going to live the life that God wanted me to have in, in following that new man. If I don't put off that old man. So what can I do? What, how can I be helped? And he puts it right here in the Bible for us. Look, if you would, three things. Number one, the Bible says in verse number three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So here's the first thing I want to tell you. If you want victory over that old flesh that's always there, number one, God has said, I've got a power that's able to help you get that job done. I am so glad that I'm not trying to live the Christian life in my own power. That it doesn't all depend on my character and my determination and my discipline. Boy, if I could just be more disciplined and if I could just have more character, then I could finally get past all these problems. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And here's why I tell you that the Bible says very plainly, having begun in the spirit, have you been now made perfect in the flesh? Listen, hey, church, you and I, we were born again spiritually. We're going to have to have that same spirit to help us live this Christian life. Right. Put a little mark right there. Go, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. God hath given us a power. The Bible says, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need, God has for you. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. What kind of power is that? Well, let me show you what kind of power it is. Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible says this. Verse number 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know if you're reading that the way I'm reading that. But when I read that, I read that the power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that works in us who believe. Come on, how many of you think it takes a whole lot of power to get a man up from the dead? Now, I have never had anybody use those defibrillators on me, and I know we've got a little box here, and I've made it known. I think I saw Brother Atwood earlier. I want Brother Atwood. I want Brother Kabe. I want one of them to use that. I don't want somebody else to use that if I'm, if I'm stopping. My heart stops. I don't need some good intending Christian to help me out there. No. I might wake up with a different name. But I'm telling you, I've never experienced, but I have, I have met men that have. 
that had to be brought back to life. And there's a lot of power that goes into that. And they crank those volts up and they crank the amperage and the power up trying to shock that heart back into beating again. Well, I'm telling you, you've been dead for three days. It's going to take a whole lot of power to get that kind of crank going. In fact, I'd tell you this right now, they probably don't have enough. Listen, every nuclear power reactor in the country doesn't have enough power to jumpstart somebody that's been dead three days. If you get up from the dead having, listen, you've been dead for three days and you get up, there's a great big power working right there. But that's the power. Look at it again now, guys. Look, the Bible says that that is an exceeding greatness of his power, verse 19, to usward, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised from the dead. God is working that power in you. Everything you need for life and godliness, God said, the divine power I can give you to get that job done. So somebody says this, I just cannot quit sinning. Okay, I give you that. You can't, but the power that raised Christ from the dead that's in you ought to be able to get the job done. Preacher, I just can't forget my bitterness. I can't, I can't forgive them. All right, maybe you can't. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead working in you ought to be more than sufficient to get the job done. Somebody help me, please. Because it's not up to you. Because that old man, that old man's power is limited. That old man is going to want revenge. And that old man is going to want to speak back. And that old man is not going to be content with what God provides. But God says, I've got a new man on the inside. And if you let me, I've got divine power that can give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just say this right now. All the advertisement on television that says that you cannot be happy unless you have what they have is a lie. Because you just read that God... Through his power can give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen. Amen. So happy in Jesus today. My sins are forgiven. They're all in the past. They'll never condemn me for he holds me fast. I'm justified. I'm justified. I'm happy in Jesus today. Everybody talking about, well, Jesus wants me happy. No, Jesus wants you to find happiness and joy in him. That power that he has, the power that he has to help you not live after Simon, but to follow in the steps of Peter. To be able to say no to that old man that every day is trying to push the wrong direction, but instead to walk in newness of life. There's a power that God gives. I don't know if that's helping you, but it's helping me tonight. That's something that's beyond me. That's beyond me. Now go back if you would to 2 Peter chapter 1. So God says, Simon Peter. And he says, now I want you to know something about that. That old man, that new man that are always present together, I'm going to give you a divine power that will give you all the things that you need for life and godliness. But the second thing, notice that verse doesn't stop. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In other words, that power comes from a particular provision. If you want that power, then you have to go through that provision. 
Um, I think sometimes that we have the idea in Christianity, well, God's given us all that power. So, you know, what I need to do is I need to step into a phone booth. This is going to date me really old, but I need to step into a phone booth and change my clothes and come out wearing a big S on my chest. See, like I said, there's people looking at me like, what, what is that? What, what? Or like some, some hero today that steps around the corner and all of a sudden steps into a suit or it comes together and now they've got the power. And we think as Christians, well, I've got that power, so it's just time for me to push the button and boom, God gives it to me. I'm like the Hulk. I just all of a sudden, I pop out and now I'm ready to go. That is not the way it works. If you want to access the power, you got to go through the provision. This evening when I was trying to dry off my clothes that I'm trying to stay behind the pulpit with, right up there, I, I, there, there were three dryers, these heaters, ceramic heaters. And so I'm looking for a way to get them to turn on and they're not turning on. And then I see, well, they're not plugged in. Now I've got to find a way to plug them in. Where do I find a power source? And then I begin thinking, well, you're dripping wet and you plug it into the power source and maybe you won't have to worry about service tonight after all. So I finally found the provision. Somebody, somebody had said, we need to put an outlet right here. I didn't see any of the wires. I don't have any idea what box it runs to. I have no idea what power pole it comes from, but I do know this. I know the prongs that were on the end of that plug that was attached to that heater that I needed to use to dry my clothes. If I could plug it into that socket without getting shocked that I could get done what I needed to get done. And that's what I'm telling you. The Bible is saying in verse number three that God has provided a divine power that gives you everything you need, but you have to go through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. In other words, the only way you're going to tap into that power, you listen to me tonight, church, this is really important. The only way you're going to be able to tap into that power is through the knowledge of God. You're not going to tap into that power just by coming and sitting in a service. And I'm, I'm glad you are. I think you ought to come and sit in a service. You're not going to tap into that power just by abstaining from something and coming out to a missions conference. And, and I think you should. But that is not how you're going to find. You're not going to find that power by putting some verse up on the wall and quoting it and saying, now I'm strong and I can do it. No, nope. you have to do more than that. You're going to have to go through the knowledge of God if you're going to want that kind of power. You got to get to know him. I'm glad I've got a God that's knowable, aren't you? In fact, if you look what the Bible says, go back, look, the, the knowledge of God is preeminent in the book of 2 Peter. Go back and look at verse number two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So I want to give you a lot of grace and I want to give you a lot of peace. How am I going to do that? Through the knowledge of God and our Lord and, our, and, and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, if you want grace and you want peace, you're going to have to get it through knowing the Lord. Boy, tonight on the way outside of men's prayer meeting at 515, ladies meet right across the hall, same time. And uh, Brother Merritt this evening read about faith. And, and uh, after he got through reading, he was excited about that. And I caught him on the way out of the hall and he was, he was laughing and cutting up with another one of our men. And when I got over there, here's what he said to me. It sure is good to know him, isn't it, preacher? You know, there are a lot of people trying to live the Christian life by some prayer they prayed without ever having any kind of connection whatsoever to God. Yep. 
And they wonder why it's just not working out the way I thought it would. Well, the reason it's not because you, you, you don't know God and God is knowable and he'll give you grace and peace through his knowledge. Look at it again in verse number three. So all those things that pertain to life and godliness come through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. God says, I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you godliness, but it comes through knowing me. Listen, oh, our, our precious, precious young people. Life does not come by living a set of standards, nor does it come by getting away from a set of standards. If I could just wear what I wanted to wear and do what I wanted to do, watch what I wanted to watch, I would finally be full of joy. How many could say that is absolutely not the truth? That is absolutely not true. Or, or somebody say, well, but if, 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 if I, all this stuff that I have to wear, it's just so that because what you wear and, and, and how you conduct yourself is not going to be the thing that gives you life. You know what's going to give you life? Knowing him. Having a relationship with God. Oh, if I could wind the clock back to when I was 16 years old and thought basketball made the world go round, which it did not make the world go round, and it did not make my world go round, but it was what I gave my heart to. If I could go back and if I could change things and still enjoy ball, but know this, that God is more important than any kind of athletic event. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if it's a national championship. It doesn't matter if it's a state championship. The most important thing in this world after you're born again is knowing and fellowshipping with God. Not just sitting in church. Guys, you can sit in church and not have any fellowship with God whatsoever. You can have the right Bible. You can have the right clothes on. You, you, can, you can have every box checked, but really down on the inside, you know that you and God have no intimate knowledge one of another. It's not something that you could say, I know God. You're like Samuel. You remember Samuel? Samuel went running to Eli because he heard somebody call his name and he had no idea who it was. He thought it was Eli. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. Samuel runs back to Eli. Did you call me? No, go lie back down. Samuel runs back to him again. You call, I didn't call you. Next time that voice calls you, you say, here am I, Lord. You know what, you know what Samuel found out? <laughs> there was a God that was living and alive and real that he could actually know and fellowship with. Oh, my goodness. Brother Mary, would you stand up just a minute? I have no idea how old Brother Merritt is, but I got thinking about him when he was reading all that today. His wife's in heaven. They were married for a long time. I know anybody that is his age has to have things that hurt. How many of you have things that hurt and you're not half his age? There is all kind of things that Brother Merritt could probably say are just no good. But I want you, I want you to look at him. I want y'all to look, you young people, you look at him. Brother Merritt, do you love Jesus? <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you ever have any fellowship with the Lord? Every day? Is it good or is it something you have? Do you make yourself do it? Do you get up saying, oh, man, I bet I got to get in there today or I'm. So when you feel his presence, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. If you could put it in a bag, would you put it in a bag and carry it around with you for a while? 
I want you to now listen. Ask yourself this question: Is he telling the truth? I had, I had a lady in Alabama. Thank you, brother Mary. Had a lady in Alabama. Her name was Rosie Price, ninety-three years of age. I can still remember her standing up. She said, "Preacher, all I ever did was go to church and work." And one day she stood up and she said, "Can I testify?" You go right ahead, Miss Rosie. She said, "I just want to say, Jesus gets sweeter every day." She didn't say the church got sweeter every day. She didn't say her husband got sweeter every day or her pastor got, you know what she said? She said Jesus got sweeter every day. How could Jesus get sweeter every day if you don't ever type, spend any time with him? And listen, listen, if you don't ever spend any time with the Lord, you'll never tap into the power that God's got out there. Because life, godliness, all of that comes through knowing him. That's not all. Are y'all still with me? I can't really tell. It's all right. Look down at verse number eight. Look at verse number 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be fruitful, you got to know him. you got to fellowship with him. It doesn't stop there. Look at chapter 2, verse number 20. Chapter 2, verse number 20, the Bible says, For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again in their entangled and overcome the latter and is worse with them than from the beginning. So they escaped the pollutions of the world through what? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you can escape the pollutions of the world. I, I don't know about you. I, I don't like pollution. I don't think you ought to throw trash out of your car. In fact, I'd say this. I, I, don't, th I don't think you ought to throw trash down in the auditorium. I don't think y'all stick trash in the back of the hymn book boxes there. I don't think y'all stick gum underneath the pews. I don't think y'all throw trash in the school anywhere. I don't think y'all throw trash out here. I saw one of our men this morning at about 830 in the morning with a big long thing going out and picking up all kind of trash out there. Shame on somebody that's always throwing their trash on somebody else. I think it'd be a good idea to back up a trash truck to their house and just dump it all right there in the front yard. Yeah. I don't want all that stuff. It smells bad. It looks bad. It might be corrupted. It might have dangerous things in it. And you say, well, the way I'm going to escape the corruption is I'm going to make sure that I've got all my I's dotted and all my T's crossed, and I'm going to make sure I don't go here, and I'm not going to go there, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to build a wall high here, and I'm going to put this app on my phone and this program on my TV, and I'm going to build this great big structure that's going to protect me. Uh-uh. If you want to escape the pollution in this world, you got to get Get to know Jesus Christ. That's right. If you want to tap into that power, you got to get to know him and that will help you escape the corruption and pollution in this world. It doesn't stop there. Look at it one other time. Look there in chapter 3, verse number 17 and 18. Watch this. Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away from the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Now that's being written to the people that have obtained the righteousness of God through faith. Look at it again. He says, beloved, and he says, beware, lest ye also, that means somebody else has already been led away, being led away with the error of the wicked. How many of you would say, I do not want to step into the error of the wicked? Could you say that? I don't want my children to step into that error. Well, how can I keep that from happening? We'll look down at verse number 18. But grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if I don't want to fall into the error of the wicked or fall from my steadfastness, then I need to know Jesus Christ on a personal level, on an intimate level. I don't need to just say, I know about him. He's born in Bethlehem. Mother's name was Mary. She was a virgin. 30, 30 years old when he stepped out in public ministry. 33 years old when he went to Calvary. He was crucified at Golgotha. I, I, knowing about him is not the same thing as knowing him. And if I'm going to tap into the power, God's made a provision. It's called the knowledge of God. He's made it to where God, oh, I cannot believe. God, our God is approachable. How, how many Clemson fans we got in here? Would you raise your hand? Great. Hold up high now. Y'all been winning. Hold up high. How many think you could get, listen, how, how, many, how many of you, how many like your coach? Would you raise your hand? Like your coach? How many think your coach would take a phone call from you? We might have one in here. Maybe one. You know what he's going to do the rest of you? You're going to get his secretary. You might not even get his secretary. You're not going to be able to approach him. You say, oh, but I love him and I read his biography and I know where he was raised and I, I know where he coached before he coached at Clemson. I know all about his family. And you can say, I know, but knowing him is something all that, can you imagine running up and saying, Dabo, man, I've been thinking about your mama and your daddy and where you grew up there in Alabama and that dog you had named. He would look at you and say, you're a nut. You need to get, y'all do something about this guy. You can't approach him. You can't, you can't, most of us couldn't approach the mayor of Greenville. But you know who you can approach? <laughs> you can approach the God of heaven. You can approach the creator of everything. You can approach the living God and he will not say, no, you stood outside for a little while. I, I thought it was so funny that uh, uh, the dictator there in Russia always made people wait on him when he would go to meetings. Well, because things are not going so well, he went to a meeting over in another country. You know what the guy did? He made him wait on him. I mean, if I, if I were God, if I were God dealing with people that haven't talked to me in a week or a month, would you make them stand outside for a little while? That the only time you ever talked to God was when you needed something. I mean, what kind of relationship? But yet God, God gives an open act to, hey, what a God we have. And what I'm saying is this, that he is knowable. You can approach it. Hey, you don't have, look good night. You don't have to be 35 to know God. You could know him right now. You could know him. You'd be better off for it. It'd be better to know him than the biggest movie star or the biggest athlete in all the country. I'd, I'd rather know God than LeBron James. Of course, he's not very high on my list. I'd rather know him than Michael Jordan. I'd rather know God than Michael Jordan. So look what God says. Go back, if you would, chapter 1. So what he's done is he's given us power through the provision of knowing him. Why? Verse 3 through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory. That's future and virtue. That's right now. So I, I need to develop a thirst for God. 
If you don't want to live the life of Simon and instead you want to live Peter, if you don't want to live the life of the old man and you want to live the new man, you've got to develop a thirst for God. You know the Bible says in Jeremiah that you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Not part of it. If you want to find me, you've got to seek me with all your heart. The Bible goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5 that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. That if you get hungry for righteousness, God says, I've got a supply for you. The Bible says so many times, Proverbs 2, Psalm 42, Psalm 63, if you cry after knowledge, if you thirst for it, if you dig for it like hidden treasure, God says that's when you're going to find it, when you're looking for it. With all your, I believe that God, God wants us to search for him and find him and he will be found of those that love him and he'll know you. The Bible says that Jesus stood outside that door in Revelation chapter 3. Listen, how many of us has Jesus been doing that? Would you let me in? I want to fellowship with you. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll fellowship with you. Nope, you just go ahead. I'm okay. The power of the provision, and then lastly, look in verse number four, and I'm finished. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So not only does he offer us a power that's exceeding great and a provision of knowing him, but he says, I'm going to give you some exceeding great and precious promises that you can be partakers of the divine nature, that you can actually partake of the nature that you've been given this righteousness of. You can partake of that nature. You can fellowship and you can put off the old nature, that Adamic nature. You can push it aside and you can put on that new nature that's made after Christ. Now, think about those promises for a minute. The Bible says we're given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. How many think we got better promises than those given to Israel? You know, the book of Hebrews is written to tell you we got better promises than what were given to the nation of Israel. We, you know, we have a better hope than they have. You know, we have a better covenant than they have. You know, we have a better sacrifice than they have. Amen. Do you know we have a better priest than they have? We have a better country they, than they have. We have a better resurrection than they have. I'm, I'm telling you right now, all the promises that were made in Israel, you and I, we got a whole lot better promises. You know what else? They're, they're exceeding great, not because they're better, but because of who made them. I can remember when President Obama was running for election, I remember watching a clip of a woman saying, when President Obama's elected, he's going to fill my car with gas and buy me a phone. I don't doubt she got her phone and she might have got a few gallons of gas, but I would probably tell you it stopped after that and the election when the it, 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 I believe we ought to have term limits for politicians. That's what I believe. I believe you ought to get two shots in there and after that somebody else gets a turn and you don't get to be in there and establish your power and get all the money that comes your way and all the lobbying and all that kind of good stuff. I don't think we ought to be buying votes and buying policy. I think we ought to have people that act on policy in the government that we have. But that being said, Jesus doesn't make hollow promises. Come on now. 
Who made the promise to you is somebody that would never break it. You say, well, well, what are you talking about? Let me give you two, and I, I, I promise I'm trying to stop. Go, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 10 and 2 Corinthians 10. Now, that's easy. 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10. He says, I'm going to give you some promises that will help you partake of the divine nature. I'm going to try to help you not be Simon. I'm going to try to help you be Peter. I'm going to try to help you stay away from that old man and live that new life through the power that I've given you, through the provision to that power. And through these promises. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible when it comes to temptation. Um, temptation is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. Although the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, very, very, very plain verse of Scripture, verse number 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. In other words, there is no temptation that nobody else has ever experienced. Yours is not unique. You're not in a special position. Now watch. But God is faithful. Amen. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. So many times people say, well, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And what they're talking about is God will never give you more burdens than you can carry. That's not what this verse says. What this verse says is that God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. In other words, God won't let the devil tempt you in a place and in a way you can't say no to. You say, how is that possible? Well, look what he says. But will with the temptation, praise God, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what that's like? That's like when you're getting ready to cheat and you go to look down or you go to look this way and all of a sudden somebody walks by and looks at you and you have to turn this way. You know what God just did? He gave you a way of escape. Right. Now if some of y'all look big out at me, I'm going to think you're cheating. There is not a temptation taking you, but such is as common to man. How many of you believe that's as much Bible as John 3, 16? But God, who is faithful, will with the temptation also make a way of escape. That's a promise from God. And that's not the only promise. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There are those of us in here like myself that uh, listen to music that we could wish we could forget. There's things that we've done and seen that we wish we could erase from our imagination and minds. And so many times those things come to the forefront. It makes me so angry that I can be out in public and I can hear the bars of, of some song and I can remember all those words and half the time I can't remember all the words in a hymn book and I have to look at each word. You, you know what I tell you? Fill up your mind with God's words and God's music so all that other music doesn't have any place to lodge. Most of us only have a certain amount of space on our hard drive anyway. Amen. So while you're young, come on now, don't look mad at me now. We, we all of us in the same, some have a bigger capacity than others, but, but we all have some. So go ahead and fill it up with something good. So as time goes on, that all the bad doesn't have a way to sneak in. <laughs> Second Corinthians 10, verse number four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Watch, casting down imagination. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God can help bring every thought into captivity. 
Now, when I think about God's promises, I don't think it's just my God shall supply all your need. I'm talking about the battles that we face with the old man and the new man, that he can bring those thoughts into captivity. I'm looking forward to a day I've got a brand new body. I won't ever have to remember anything that I don't need to remember. I won't have to worry about temptation. And that is what God has said, I want to do for you. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And though Simon is always with Peter, and you can't separate the two. You can't build the walls high enough, thick enough. You can't drive the post in deep enough. But if you'll let me, I'll give you my power and I'll take and I'll let you tap into that power through knowing me and I'll give you some promises that'll help you keep that old man at bay. So here's my question for you tonight. How many of you just could say, listen, I don't want the old man to win. And I'm going to tap into what I read in the Bible tonight. If God's going to offer me power, provision, and promises, Lord, I'm going to come tonight and I'm going to ask you to help me to put off this old man and do it every day. You fail tomorrow, then do it again the next day. Put off the old man and put on the new man. How many of you, no, no instruments playing tonight? How many of you say, I really need help with that? Would you get out of your seat and just come on? God, would you help me with that? Because it affects your family. It affects your witness. It affects your joy. There's so many things that being able to live not on the side of that old man and Simon, but to live on the side of that new man and Peter. God, I, I want you to help, help. And listen, it may be a, it may be a temper. It, it may be a, a vice. It may be something that, that comes up and, and, and grabs a hold of you when you're trying to do right. It may happen when you come to church. It may be some point of forgiveness. But would you come tonight and say, God, would you help me with that? God, I need help with that right there. Lord, you see all these people gathered here tonight. And you promised us here in this first chapter of 2 Peter that we could have a thriving Christianity in the middle of a dark world. Lord, that we would be able, even though we always have that flesh with us, that you could help us through your power and your provision and your promises to be fruitful, to escape the pollutions that are in the world. Oh, and I pray you'd help us as your people to assimilate that. Help some of our young people understand it's not about checking boxes. It's about knowing the one that gave himself for our sins. Please help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Hober, if you want to play a little bit, that'll be fine.
like, well, I praise the Lord for the promises in the Bible. The Bible has a solution. I was looking tonight, are, are the Katapagus here? There they are, right there. Brother Sam and Sister Sunitha are going to India on the 22nd. And I know, we heard, I think we already had that announced. Renee Brookshire's having uh, cancer surgery the same day. My brother's having surgery tomorrow. But I, I would love to do this if we could do this. If uh, brother, brother Sam and Miss Sunitha, sweet people. If you, if you haven't gotten to know them, man, I, you, you ought to get to know the Cotapagos. They're sweet people. And, um, and uh, they, uh, they're going to be gone now for probably several weeks. And, um, and we're going to definitely hold them up in prayer. But here's what I thought about doing. Brother Sam, you and Sunitha, if y'all just don't mind coming just facing toward the pulpit right here. And, and the way I want to end the service, as many as it would, if we just kind of gather around this. And Dr. Aiken, if you don't mind to come up here. And as, after we gather around and pray around these folks right here, maybe if you just pray over them, would you do that? So if you stand to your feet as many as it would, we're going to gather around them, pray over them as they head to India. And uh, Brother, Brother Aiken will pray here in just a second. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank Thee tonight for the blessing of the body of Christ. We appreciate, Lord, those members of the body that have been born again and added to the body of Christ. And there are two of those members, and we appreciate the Catapagos. The blessing they've been to our church and the blessing that they've been to my own life and to my family as well since they have come this way. And we're thankful, Lord, that your gospel reached into India and saved this couple. And then through your grace and through your purpose and through your plan, Lord, you brought them to the United States of America. They're now citizens of this country, and we're thankful for that, and we appreciate the, the faith that you've put in their heart. They've come and joined with us here in this congregation at Tabernacle, and now they have a burden for their family back in India, and I pray you'll bless them with safety and supply their every need for this trip that they're making. Because we know that a part of that is that they might be a witness and a testimony to family members and to others that they know and are acquainted with. We pray that their testimony as well as their word of witness will touch hearts. And Lord, you'll go before them and prepare hearts to receive your message 
that you'll give through them to those of their family and others and friends. We pray that souls will be saved and added to your body from their witness in this trip. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory for all that you'll accomplish through their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.